A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 201 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get the show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman, and with me like an X-Wing pilot escorting a senator on a spy mission, the EU guru himself, the count of those two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey, everybody. See? We, we got all that stuff off our chest last week for episode number 200, so now we can, as an X-Wing pilot must, stay on target, stay on target. That's right. And as staying on target, let's just focus on staying on target. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we look at the new canon novel, Star Wars Bloodline, by Claudia Gray. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you a quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's arrogance. An entire generation has prospered during an era of peace. The New Republic, governed by the Galactic Senate, has held power for more than two decades. The wars that divided the galaxy are fading into legend. Yet, conflict has begun to take shape within the Senate. In the absence of Mon Mothma, former leader of the Rebellion and First Chancellor of the New Republic, two unofficial but powerful factions have formed. The populace, who believe individual planets should retain almost all authority, and the centrists, who favor a stronger galactic government and a more powerful military. Only the greatest heroes of the war are still honored by all, a ceremony honoring the memory of Bail Organa has drawn the Senate together in a rare harmony. It is a day of celebration, but even now, the divisions among the worlds of the galaxy are growing wider. And you like have to scroll down to the planet, right? Scroll down to yeah. Bosnian Prime. Um, this is an interesting one. Now, I am a big politics junkie. You've probably gotten that from all the political jokes that pop up here and on Cloud City Casino and whatnot, uh, and on the vlog and pretty much everywhere that I produce anything. But it's rare that we get a Star Wars book that is essentially a political thriller. And that's basically, I feel like, what Bloodline winds up being. We'll get into the specific layers of the storytelling as sort of a mini-summary once we get into the, the spoiler part. But basically what you've got here is Claudia Gray's second outing as a Star Wars writer. She wrote Lost Stars, which I contend is still the, the best of the new story group canon Star Wars novels. Now she's got Bloodline, and there were a lot of people who were kind of concerned about this. One, when a young adult writer makes the jump into adult novels, since we have no other context because most Star Wars fans haven't read her other works. They're just reading it because it's Star Wars. 
Uh, can she make that jump effectively? I would argue, yes, she did. Uh, this is a really good adult Star Wars novel, and because of the politics in it, it is more aimed at adults as opposed to the sort of young adult angst of lost stars. Uh, there was some concern that this is going to be a Leia-centric story. Uh, Luke is pretty much absent for the entire story, but he's mentioned Han shows up a few times, but this is Leia's ride. And the last couple times we've seen Leia become the focal point for a story, it hasn't gone so well. We got Razor's Edge the last time there was really a Leia-centric novel, and that was kind of a mess and didn't really feel like it mattered at all to anything. And then the most recent time we've seen Leia in a Leia-centric story, we got the Princess Leia comic series by Mark Wade from Marvel, which seemed to completely not understand her character and give us a story that was eh in general, but it had us pulling our hair out out of, well, the that's not Leia concept. <laughs> that it just it wasn't really her. It was just any other petulant 19-year-old who didn't act like Leia should at the time. So there's a lot of concern about that. Instead, here we get Leia that really feels like Leia. It actually works for the character. And in the process, we get to see snapshots of what the galaxy looks like at the time, what galactic politics look like at the time, the centrist and populist, which, by the way, is something that came from Ryan Johnson from Episode 8, uh, something that she was then able to flesh out. And we get to meet some interesting new characters as we see the sort of the path through which Leia goes to finally say, we need to set up a resistance, sort of an origin of the resistance story, hints about the First Order kind of story. And in the process is an interesting political back and forth, and odd camaraderie between Leia and another character who was also someone who was actually in some of the early workings and drafts of The Force Awakens, uh, Senator Ransom Casterfoe from Riosa, who is a new character to us in this book, who really kind of adds a new flavor to it and a nice counterpoint, a strong counterpoint to Leia. So, I gotta say, for someone who likes politics, I thought this was a terrific Star Wars novel, but those who are more into the action side of Star Wars who don't want to see the politics, or for whom after the pre equals think politics, ew, I don't want it in my Star Wars. Give this one a try, but it may not be your cup of tea. I do think the politics are handled well in this, and strangely enough, as crazy as the politics can get in this book, I still find this more tame than the 2016 election season. So, you know, if you're really getting sick of our politics and how crazy it is and how it seems like everything's kind of out of control, maybe reading this will give you a sense that, you know, there is some sense that you can have people on both sides who truly believe in what they're saying, who actually think it's the best way to to go about building the future. We just have a difference of opinions and have to find a way to work it out amongst some cool conspiracy stuff too. Um, so I'm, I'm going to highly recommend Bloodline, but it's not necessarily going to be something that everybody's going to like. Take your gauge of how much you're interested in the political thriller aspect of this era six years before The Force Awakens and the, the need for a bridge that really does start to feel like it is part of that journey to The Force Awakens, just without the name that actually bridges, and go from there on whether you want to read it. Yeah, well put. Well put. See, I was in that off camp like I enjoyed the book but I'm not that big into the political side of stories so I was I don't know there were times where I was really kind of lackluster uh, but I really appreciate the way Claudia Gray writes it all together by the time you get to the end stuff and there's there's plot points that just drop and leave you just completely hanging and I like the way that played out for me I think one of the hardest things was the shifting in gears of what the reality of Leia is now versus what Leia was in Legends a lot of the political her walking away from politics that happens in this when you think about how it happens in Legend, it, it's basically what happens during the New Jedi Order, where she finally, she's like, I'm done, I'm going to start training to be a Jedi. Only here, she doesn't do any of the Jedi training. And that was an angle that I was really disappointed with. I was really hoping that now that there was a whole new opening to the backstory of all these characters, that Leia was going to be a character that we would really get to see flesh that part out. And 
even life debt, we, we see more of that where that's just not the case for Leia. And so that was a side of swallowing the story that was really rough for me. I didn't really enjoy that. Uh, and then the way that this plot rolls out, it left me really kind of hurting for Leia at times where I was like, man, the solos are really getting the shaft when it comes to this new canon. Like, So I have an appreciation for the way Claudia Gray wrote it. Uh, but at the same time, the, the source material, it wasn't quite my cup of tea. I wouldn't put it up there as one of the best books uh, of the new canon, but it's definitely one of the well-wrote books of new canon. Uh, the plot works well. The characters all work well. Nothing seems like it's a, a throwaway line or a throwaway person. I actually, I think of the new canon stuff, this is probably the one story I've listened to the most. I read through it, but I haven't read it from cover to cover, but I've listened to it probably about 12 different times. Um, I, I paused my uh, Audible trial there for a while, and so I only had a few books that were on my phone, and I, I was anticipating us recording this one, so I just kept playing it over and over again. And each time, I picked up a little bit more. But like in the audio book like they call ransom uh they call him ransom Costafo. so it's it's weird because when i'm looking at the name spelled that's not at all the way they the way they pronounce it, it's not at all how i would say it uh you know because i was noticing the way you were pronouncing it and that's that's how it looks read to me too but that is one of the things that in the last two years i've been listening to more audiobooks than i've been reading and the remembering who's who of the characters is really hard for me because i have no word association because i'm not reading the word as i'm listening to it so i hear the name and then when i see the name wrote i'm like wait who uh, oh, oh yeah, Ransom. Okay, okay. And Ransom was a character that I really got a kick out of the character going through it. I also enjoyed the fact that we had uh, other X-Wing pilots involved. Uh, we also learned more about Han being a racer and what that meant and what that partook. Uh, and the backstory between characters that interacted with Han and Leia in that resolve was pretty interesting. I, I did get a kick out of it. I do think most fans will enjoy this book. And like you said, Nate, for a Journey to the Force Awakens book, this one definitely has that feel of you've got to read it. Like if you really want to know where Leia's at uh, and where the resistance is kind of coming from uh, when you watch The Force Awakens, this book will definitely put a lot more light to that. And I guess we should note before we do move into the spoiler section, there are a couple different versions of this book aside from just, you know, audio, ebook, and print. If you're going to pick up a print copy of this book, there's the regular version. And then just like they wind up doing with Life Debt and like they did with the novelization of The Force Awakens, there is a Barnes & Noble special limited edition, or at least specialized. I don't think it says limited, but it's basically the exact same book except in the back, bound in between the last couple of non-text pages, the ones that are just kind of there as filler almost, you'll wind up seeing a poster bound in that you can tear out if you want, that if you fold it out has the regular version of the vote for Leia for first senator poster on one side, and on the other side it has the, to non-spoil, it's kind of like a graffiti-laden one that's basically calling her a liar, calling her a traitor, etc. Uh, so that's bound into that book and also at least prior to release I'm assuming they're all gone now unless you check eBay or something but at least prior to release uh, Barnes & Noble not only had that version up for pre-order but had a signed version where uh, Claudia Gray came in and signed however many copies of the book so you could get that for your collection so mine I've actually got both of them here I've got the regular version and then I've got the Barnes & Noble exclusive signed copies sitting uh, sitting in there as well so they're, they're, they're starting to kind of marvelize these books well saying. it's interesting that they added those posters because I remembered when the poster, you know, they showed those images on Facebook and on uh, the, the Star Wars website itself. Uh, but the fact that they only put it in the Barnes and Noble edition, because I kept wondering if we were going to get it on the back of the cover. Uh, Dark Troopers did something like that. And I want to say even Red Harvest did something similar where their covers were, were a little more special than normal. It was Death Troopers that actually had
had the the hanging chain with the uh, stormtrooper head attached to it on the back of that one which i honestly that was the direction i thought they were going to go with this so it's kind of like oh bummer when you know you found out it was only on the barnes and noble editions like eh. i mean i get that exclusivity but i've just never been a fan of it and of course, if you bought the ebook, there's no poster anyway, I would assume. I would assume that if you bought the ebook, you don't turn to like the last page and there's a poster image, but maybe on the Nook. But if it's Barnes and Noble, it'd have to be just on the Nook and not like on the Kindles. So don't know. Haven't exactly investigated that one. But if you're looking for a physical copy of this, if you're looking on eBay or something, easiest way to find that special edition is whichever copy you see, it should have a little, uh, you know, maybe a couple inches across, maybe an inch tall, little rectangular sticker on, her that, on it that just says, I said on her because I'm looking at Leia on the cover, uh, that says Barnes & Noble Special Edition Exclusive Content. And that's all that they all say. Some of them have the little bound-in posters. For some of them, like the, the Force Awakens novelization, it was like, hey, here's some extra pages of pictures. It just kind of depends. You just kind of have to research for yourself or look at the very, very bottom of the description to figure out what that exclusive content is. And in most cases, it has nothing to do with the story. It's just it's a supplemental thing. Like, like these posters I could see being handed out at a convention or something just as promotion material, they happen to be bound in. Not a big deal about going through and reading the story, but if you really want the best quote-unquote edition, that's probably the one you're going to want to go for. We've analyzed their attacks, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. And consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentence of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. When the Rebellion defeated the Empire in the skies above Endor, Leia Organa believed it was the beginning to a lasting peace. But after decades of vicious infighting and partisan gridlock, the New Republic Senate, that hope seems like a distant memory. Now a respected senator, Leia must grapple with the dangers that threaten to cripple the fledging democracy. From both within and without, underworld kingpins, treacherous politicians, and imperial loyalists are sowing chaos in the galaxy. Desperate to take action, senators are calling for the election of a first senator, it is their hope that this influential post will bring strong leadership to a divided galaxy. As the daughter of Darth Vader, Leia faces with distrust the prospect of any one person holding such a powerful position, even when supporters suggest Leia herself for the job. But a new enemy may make this path Leia's only option. At the edges of the galaxy, a mysterious threat is growing. Yes, this is, again, it's, it's a political thriller in, in all its form. So kind of multiple plot threads here to keep us from having a massive uh, kind of summary. So the political plot thread here essentially is that Mon Mothma has been the chancellor basically, it seems like, for the last 24 years. So Mon Mothma has been around, but she has taken ill. And they've mentioned this in a couple of different sources, I'm thinking. So it kind of makes me sit back and wonder if that's going to get some level of uh, of exploration in another story, like maybe it's poison or something. But Mon Mothma has been ill. So basically running the New Republic government is in the hands of the Senate. And the Senate is a bunch of greedy, squabbling delegates and all the kind of stuff that made it ugly back during the Republic. And as a result, there's this factionalization that's happening. You have the populists who are all about essentially the individual rights of individual systems and whatnot, the freedoms and whatnot, kind of the uh, the more conservative wing, if you take an American political type of view, a little more Republican 
Republican, which is going to be uh, Leia's side. Then you have the centrists who are more about the centralized authority. I guess, let me, let me take that back. Not so much Republican, Democrat, more Federalist, Anti-Federalist, if you're looking back at early American history. Centralized power versus state power. Um, so Leia's on the side that's more about, you know, a looser new republic and individual systems having much of the power and much of the say, whereas the centrists, like Castorfo or Ransom, they're much more based around this idea that you need a strong centralized government for the galaxy, you need a strong military for the galaxy and such, which the populists are afraid is going to lead them into another era of an empire, because that's kind of what happened in the, the waning years of the Old Republic back during the prequels. And this eventually leads to the idea that they need to have a first senator, someone who can cut through the red tape and just get stuff done. If you don't have a chancellor who's able to do that, have a first senator. And the populists push Leia to run, the centrists wind up having their own candidates running, and when it comes down to it at basically the last minute, everything kind of falls apart for Leia because in the process of this, her ally, and another plot thread here, her ally Ransom Castorfo is manipulated into basically giving a speech that reveals, hey, Leia is the daughter of Vader. So you can't trust anything that she says. She's kept this from us, etc., etc. It all kind of blows up. And it's that political explosion that, in part, helps to free her, because she wanted to leave politics and just spend time with Han anyway, but sort of frees her from her obligations that she feels so that she can eventually start the resistance. That plot thread, the whole First Order type of plot thread, you've got this idea... Now, Yendor, which is one of the pilots in the Rebellion from back in Lost Stars that's brought back here, Yendor represents the independent but allied with the New Republic world of Ryloth. And they're dealing with the depredations of this criminal, Rin Rivendi. And the idea is that they want the New Republic to look into this guy and his operations because he just kind of appeared on the scene very powerful just about seven or so years ago, and that seems strange. And as they investigate him, it's Leia taking on the investigation and Ransom taking on the investigation together. So there's a populist and a centrist leading the investigation along with Leia's crew on her ship, the Mirror Bright, which includes Greer Sonnell, a former racer for uh, Han, who's now her chief of staff, plus Corsella, who we see on Hosnian Prime before, gets blowed up real good in The Force Awakens. She is there. Uh, Joff Striker, I believe was his name, is the pilot uh, who's with them. But they go on this series of missions and investigations that eventually find that this guy is allied with the Amaxines, which is this, this warrior culture that they thought was gone, you know, for thousands of years, which is still around, uh, and the leader of them, and sort of trace it back and trace it back, and essentially this all kind of comes to a head as there is what's referred to as the napkin bombing. There is a bombing at a populist breakfast for the senators that is part of that faction's doing, the more militant side of that faction. And somewhere inside the Senate, they have a uh, some kind of plant, and they're not sure if it's Castro or whoever. For a while there, it's left guessing, but then the book reveals to you that it's Lady Carice, which is basically this ally of, supposed ally of Leia's, this centrist who's also somewhat of an ally of Leia's, who's all about the noble way of life and lords and ladies and all of that kind of thing, all the heraldry kind of stuff, who is also working for the First Order. The First Order is sort of seeding things here. All the profits from that criminal organization from Rin Riven D are going to them. The uh, uh, Hardassian and her Axamites, uh, they're all there specifically training so they can be part of the military force of the First Order and so forth. And all this is building in the background as the centrists are trying to get more power within the Senate as well. And it's tending to happen on centrist worlds, which doesn't mean all centrists are allied with them so much as it means that that sort of feeds into that mindset. Very much like, you know, not all people on the right are of the alt-right, as we talked about last time, but the alt-right feeds on some of the same mindsets just taken to extremes, as the First Order does here with the centrists. And 
eventually that threat is seen very clearly in a brief battle um, that convinces Leia that if the Senate's not going to do anything, she needs to step away because she's already disgraced anyway. She needs to step away, lead a new resistance. She calls together allies from this book, calls together allies from other uh, from other things we know, like like Akbar and Snap, brings them into the fold, and the resistance is born by the end of the book. Castorfo, for his part, uh, winds up essentially after outing Leia and seeming to be someone who is very much being pulled it towards the First Order's circle, winds up uh, standing for Leia, and they realize that he's more loyal to her and his friendship with her than to what the First Order ideals would be that they're trying to push through the Centrus, and they wind up framing him for much of what happened so that he can go off and theoretically, we don't see it, but theoretically be executed under a death penalty that he himself recently helped reinstate on his homeworld. Meanwhile, Han is off leading a racing circuit, basically. Luke is off training with Ben and really has no real role within the book. But it winds up having less action and more, you know, spy stuff and thriller stuff. And it's really all about presenting and outing the the threat of the First Order, bringing the Resistance into play, getting Leia out of the Senate, etc., it's somewhat of a complex book here. I'd like to, to start us out with context. Mark, do you have anything you want to toss in before we get into like what's going on in the galaxy just at the time? Because I think that bears some discussion. Yeah, real quick. Uh, you know, January Lavoie, uh, she was the one that did the narrative of the audiobook, and she did some really fun character voices. Uh, when she gets to Snap's character, especially, it's different than what you get from you know the Life Debt audiobooks because uh, he's kind of more younger than that, and the way it's played off is just hilarious. It had a very uh, Wraith Squadron feel. Um, I loved uh, uh, Ren Riven Die. The way his character was played was just just oozed. The way she read off the character just oozed. Uh, and Greer had a, a fun backstory that I really enjoyed that played well with Joff. And, and of course, you know, Joff Striker. like, I, I just love that name. Like, there's a character. He's like the new Gavin Darklighter for me right now. I'm like, yeah, cool. That's a fun Star Wars name right there. Sea Striker. Okay, I can dig that. That old, like, like Skywalker, you know, it's getting back to the basics of how you name a Star Wars character. Uh, I think the context here matters. Uh, a few things that still stand out to me that just I noted as I was thinking about it earlier. Uh, One, that Mon Mothma has been Chancellor all this time, it seems like, unless she somehow was voted out and came back in like uh, uh, Grover Cleveland or something. Look it up, kids. Um, (laughs) In which case, that does mean that Leia has never been Chancellor slash Chief of State slash Head of State or anything like that. Leia has only been a Senator, which of course is different from Legends as well, from a political side of things, which begs the question, and people have asked this quite a bit, I think they've given a couple of odd answers, um, but basically, Senator of what? Right. If there is no planet of Alderaan, she's senator of whom? Who is her specific constituency? Is it like a senator at large thing? So there's Leia's circumstance and the fact that she didn't train as a Jedi, as Mark mentioned. You've got Han, right? Han seems to not have Chewie with him at this point, which suggests is Chewie still back on Kashyyyk like he was left in another recent book um, to lead the fight there and whatnot? Han shows up in one of his racing ships and such. So does this mean that the Falcon has been stolen by this point by Duquesne and then by the Irving boys and Ungar Plutt and so on and so on and so on? Uh, what is the situation there? Uh, the whole thing with Luke and Ben. 
being off and basically out of contact. Yeah. Um, that it begs the question because it seemed as though, you know, wow, for all this stuff to go down and Leia and Han to be separated and them not to be seeing their son, it seemed initially like six years before The Force Awakens is way too little of time, of a time gap, for all of that stuff to have gone down and have the effect that it has on people in The Force Awakens because it doesn't seem as though Ben has gone dark yet. Uh, part of me wonders if, if getting the message that Leia sent and seeing the controversy of, oh, guess what? She didn't tell you either, but your granddaddy was Vader. That that sort of thing might be what pushes him over the edge. But it seemed odd that that hadn't necessarily happened yet, because at this point, Ben is like, what, 23-ish years old. And the context there, uh, outside of the political side, of just the whole Leia and Vader thing, because it would appear that neither, in this continuity at least, neither Leia nor Luke made their father's identity public knowledge, or really knowledge to hardly anybody around them, it seems, really until this story, which means they kept the secret for a long time, it only comes out here because Lady Carice is pestering Leia that, well, this guy just died, so technically you're the governor of this planet if you want it, uh, because of all the noble ties. She's like, you know what? No, why don't you take it? You like that stuff, you take it. And in the, the process of, of checking out some of the old belongings there, they find a message that was recorded by Bale to reveal to Leia her parentage if he died before he could tell her. And Carice, who is the First Order operative, is able to basically use that uh, to turn Castorfo briefly towards her side and to have the proof against Leia. But it all comes down, you know, the biggest political eruption in this book comes down to the idea that for like almost two and a half decades, Leia was able to keep this a secret. And Luke kept it a secret, which was also quite different than what we see play out in Legends. We see some shock when those things appear, but it doesn't seem like it was the, the political bombshell that it is here, and certainly didn't take this long to come out. So I'm wondering what, what Mark thinks here about this different context in which this story is taking place, and was there anything surprising about it to him? Because I know that to me, the time gap and the Luke Ben thing and Leia being able to keep that a secret for so long, those were big surprises for me. Yeah, the Luke and, and Ben it's like, good Lord, Luke, like you're gone all the time. I think that was the angle about Leia not being a Jedi that really irked me. It was like, you totally forsook your sister and just went off and did your own thing. And then, you know, because like Life Debt, there's a reference to that too, of, of how he wasn't there. He just wasn't there to train her. And yet now he's got her kid and he's gone again. So that, that threw me off. But yeah, the aspect of telling the kids who Vader was, uh, when you think about legends, like that was something all the kids knew pretty much from birth. Like that was never really a secret. It was something that always hung over those kids' heads. Uh, so I found it interesting that even though the pre the parental approach to telling that secret changed, uh, they still lost a son to the dark side. It didn't matter if it was legends or canon. In the end, they lost their son to the dark side. Their oldest son fell. It didn't matter. Uh, and so that was an interesting twist. Like to, to just kind of run that through my head was something that really threw me off. I was like, holy cow. I did like, like you were talking about the, the lady, uh, Carice Cindy. Carice. Mm -hmm. Way that she, that played out with her getting into the uh, vault and, and getting the message and the way the message played. There were a few moments that Claudia Gray really plucked at the heartstrings. And I think when that message finally played out, across the Senate and like the, the dawning of Leia where she's like, they're, they're using both my fathers against me. I was just like, Oh man, that was a brutal moment. And it was one of those, like when you watch a sitcom show and you watch somebody withhold a bit of information, you know, it's going to bite them in the butt. And that's how the whole staying on the Vader topic was. It's like, Oh no, it's coming out the worst moment possible. And we should toss in here. And because <laughs> I knew this was going to come up. So we got to get to it because of how much we made a deal of this, uh, back with the princess Leia comic. But 
For real? The novel starts with Bale getting yet another freaking statue? Yes. What is up with that? That was another one of those things. And and the whole, like, okay, you mentioned, you know, being a senator of what? Well, we watched in the Leia comic, we watched, what was it, Yvonne or Evan took over as the new queen or princess of Alderaan. And it's like, mm-hmm. and yet there's still, like, that. there's no reference to that. Like, I'm like, we should have a reference to that. We should be setting some of that up. Every time we talk about Alderaan, they should be talking about her as well or, you know, somebody that took the crown from her because yeah the, the whole Alderaan angle is something that, that really doesn't make that much sense at this moment uh, I'm kind of hoping you know that as canon plays out I feel like Alderaan's backstory is kind of like Han Solo like everything I know I don't know anymore like I don't feel like they're peaceful like they used to be in Legends like there's not a weapon on the planet or that they do, don't have their own military fleet I feel like now they do uh, so like I, I'm just waiting to learn more and yet I feel like every time we talk about Leia being the princess and stuff like that there's a missed opportunity to be dropping a reference to another story you know that whole uh, the new jedi order effect where they're bringing in every single person from every bantam book ever uh you know just if it's a reference they made it and i feel like there's references being left out when it comes to leia and alderaan yeah i mean we get more of the alderaan reference in life debt than we get here that (laughs) kind of sits back and says okay well what's going on with the refugees at this point are they even really an issue at this point 24 years later so i guess it's hard to to talk about how to approach this. And I like the fact that we have our political maneuvering here. I think the idea that different political parties are forming is appropriate because you look at history and most places eventually have multiple political parties. The idea that we would just have a Senate here for the galaxy that's just full of individual representatives and no factions forming uh, large enough to have names of their own, that seems to me a little bit idealistic. That's much more Star Trek than it is Star Wars, this idea of an idealized sort of futuristic society albeit a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away here. I think about this, again, kind of like a Federalist, Anti-Federalist thing, and think about how, really, in American history, it took the clashes between, for instance, like the Thomas Jefferson faction, the Alexander Hamilton faction and such, as things were moving out of the Washington administration to really give us multiple political parties in the U.S. running candidates in elections. So it sort of makes sense to me here to see that happening. I like the fact that some realistic politics is entering here. I got to say that the it's a classic political argument, though. It doesn't matter if you're talking planets or if you're talking about states or you're talking about cities within a state. There's always this whole issue of local control versus centralized control. You go to an extreme one way, you go to an extreme other. What is the happy balance in between? And I like the fact that they managed to bring that into Star Wars here in a realistic way without it necessarily having to be a Civil War situation. I do like the Civil War analog that they got in the, uh, uh, the Second Galactic Civil War stuff back in Legacy of the Force. But here, it's just differences of opinion that are drawing people to either sides of the extremes. Though it does take a step beyond American politics and you get into the bombing, right? The so-called napkin bombing, which, by the way, is another thing that Ryan Johnson inserted into the story that he passed along. It's part of the backstory that he's using apparently for episode 8 in some form or another. But I must say the most interesting thing, I think, politically with this, has to be Ransom. Ransom Castorfo, or Castaf, or whatever, whatever his name is. Ransom. Ransom with an L in it. Ransom or something. Uh, it's like Malcolm with an L in it. So here's a guy who when Leia first goes to his office, she discovers that he has a collection 
of Imperial artifacts. It's a lot like, you know, my Star Wars office or Mark's studio, except it's full of, like, Imperial regalia and whatnot. And she is immediately taken aback. You know, how could you possibly admire the Empire and so forth? And it takes a while to get down to this idea that this actually is a, a fairly good guy, a conscientious guy. And uh, when he goes to a meeting for support late in the book, and he hears people talking about admiring Palpatine himself and wanting something like that back, he's appalled. That was a great scene. Yeah, because he's a guy who likes the, he, need, he says, centralized power is necessary. You need it for order. But he doesn't agree with the, with the, the way that Palpatine and Vader took it. Now, he basically, he argues that Palpatine and Vader were corrupt, mm -hmm. Siths and everything. They were corrupt. So they took what could have been a model that would have worked to some degree and turned it into something for personal power and destruction. But that if you had it in the right hands, you could do it. It's very much like Anakin sitting there talking with Padme <laughs> in the field, right? You know, someone should get in there and make it get done. You know, if the person is wise, then, you know, if it works, go for it. But it's interesting that, and, and this, I guess you kind of need this in a political thriller, but it didn't try to paint this as a black and white thing, all populist good, all centrist bad. Yeah. That instead it was this, here's a centrist and he is staunchly against what Leia believes in, but you know what? He has his reasons for it. He's not a monster and they can work together. It's pushing the whole idea of bipartisanship, something that we claim we want in modern politics in America, but which right now seems less and less likely because of how divided we have become. Uh, he has I that love it. where he says, uh, I'm going to vote the party line, even though he disagreed with it, but he's like, oh, because Leia's like, oh, you might even vote for me. No, I'm still going to vote the party line, but he's like, but you are a more qualified choice. Like, I really enjoyed his character's take. You know, like you mentioned, he didn't like Vader. He had personal reason to dislike Vader. So when he discovers, you know, the tie between Leia and Vader, there is a serious feeling of betrayal on his part. I mean, the way that part plays out is is just delicious. Uh, Ransom continued, Princess Leia's lies have protected her long enough. Her deception cannot be permitted to endanger the entire galaxy. If people are considering electing her as first senator, they have the right to know exactly who they're voting for. Leia's confusion crystallized in an instant around one of her most terrible fears. He knows. No, impossible. Nobody had ever known this besides her, Luke, and Han. She wasn't even sure whether Han had told Chewie. They hadn't even yet told Ben. So Ransom couldn't have learned the most horrible truth of her life. There was no way. He had to be talking about something else. But what? There was nothing Leia could think of. Nothing besides Ransom pointed at her and declared to the entire Galactic Senate, Senator Leia Organa is none other than the daughter of Darth Vader himself. I mean, th that scene, like, it, they, they split it over chapters. But when you're listening to the audiobook, it just kind of, it just plays from one into the other. And, you know, you've got other senators that are, are yelling, lie. Uh, and then, you know, Ransom, he, he brings the proof. He goes, then he held up a box, not just any box, a keepsake chest. Every child on Alderaan had one. Parents and grandparents carved the designs, but only a child decided what they would put inside. Placing one of your possessions inside the keepsake chest meant that you had outgrown it, but recognized its importance to you. In adulthood, you could open the chest, look back, and see how you have chosen to tell your own story. Leia thought that keepsake chest looked like hers, but she hadn't seen it in at least 30 years, and surely it had been destroyed with Alderaan. Nobody was ever supposed to open a keepsake chest without permission, but Ransom opened this one now, and from within, he pulled out a music box. One Leia recognized so instantly that the memory pierced her heart like an arrow. She had no time to wonder how it had survived or come into Ransom Christopho's possession. Ransom had already opened it, and the tune began to play. Mere bright shines the moon. And then, Bail Organa began to speak. Just the sound of his voice brought tears to her eyes, but every word revealed her deepest secret. In despair, Leia thought, 
They're using both my fathers against me. Bail Organa, who had so often spoken out in the Old Republic and Imperial Senates, who had possessed the courage to stand against Palpatine when nearly every other planetary leader had bowed to the Emperor's power, uttered the last words to the public form of the music box, played on every speaker, to be reproduced by every news source around the galaxy within moments. Your father has become Darth Vader. Just powerful moments, man. Just I, 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 I think like the whole political side of the book is what knocks it down in my eyes because the character moments and everything that builds around the politics is spot on. It's A-plus writing. It kind of needs the the political context to really make it make sense. I think. Um, yeah. With I do find it interesting. You know, we we move sort of from the whole. You know, well, he's you know he's someone who is a man of integrity, who's a friend of Leia's. You know, and then we get into the 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 speech he gives that basically knocks her down. It's someone who is sort of acting on duty, but we are given a reason for why he thinks that Vader was so corrupt and Palpatine was so corrupt, and why he would want an imperial or or, or at least authoritarian model that doesn't follow them specifically uh, and for why he'd be so angry at Leia all kind of at once because we find that uh, his parents were on a, a world that was mining and polluted and whatnot under imperial rule. His dad had been abused by Vader at different times during Vader's visits and whatnot, and his parents died uh, because of a lot of the environmental stuff that was happening on the planet. So he had a hatred for what the Empire had become, as opposed to what it was, but it was very personified. It's like so, somewhat like what we said when we went into the war in Iraq, right? We, or Afghanistan, which is the we don't hate the Iraqi people or the Afghani people. However, we must take down our enemy, which is your leader, whether it's the Taliban in Afghanistan or Saddam Hussein in Iraq. And that's what we're trying to do in a sense. So politically, he's able to say, you know, the empire is one thing, but these specific people, they did it wrong. They abuse the citizens. They need to be the ones spoken out against, even if not the empire as a whole. And here he is acting on that impulse, that very personal impulse of a personal betrayal of with Leia, knowing what is what Vader had done to his father, still not revealing that to him felt like a personal thing. So you have a character here who goes back and forth at different points, kind of moving as the winds shift him, a very consummate politician. But he strikes me as someone who's very much like, almost like a Bernie Sanders or a Ted Cruz in modern politics, which is someone who sort of has what they believe and they're just going to follow it and be as genuine to that as they can. And come what may, that's just who they are. Um, there are times when, like Sanders and Cruz, they, he leaned towards having to sort of follow the party line, but it was rare compared to the times when he was able to sort of follow his own inclinations here. So, Castorfo, cool character, great character. I love the irony of the ending. I'd love to see him back again, but to have it be that he's hoisted on his own petard, in essence, because it's his side that turns on him, essentially the centrist, and then he's going to be put to death by the very same death penalty he fought to get back for his planet. I found that to be a very uh, ironic twist there for the ending for him. Yeah, it was like a, a big dawning of, you know, what have you been doing now now that you're on the other side you realize that this wasn't what you should have been fighting for and there was a, a great moment too where leia says you know you would have been in uniform with us you'd have been with us kind of thing uh and, and she thought about that off and on like she was talking with greer oh he looked mighty fine in an imperial uniform he just wants to be in an imperial uniform and they even use this collection like at one point they're trying to get more information about this uh paramilitary group and they use his collection he's looking for an imperial guardsman helmet and so he goes in as himself posing as himself a collector of imperial things to get the information they need to help further the investigation and it's that that's used against him the images and stuff are doctored in a way that makes it look like he is you know kind of cooperating with and it it, it dooms him like everything
everything mm-hmm. that he's done dooms him. And you learn it from Leia's point of view, which I think really adds to the sorrow of the situation because she's grown to recognize that the reader's perspective of him has pretty much come from her the whole time. And, and she was kind of putting some hate shade on it. And she finally realized that he was just mistaken. He was lost. He didn't quite understand. And he's finally at that point. Now that he is, it's too late. He's just as doomed as everyone else. It reminds me very much of, it's, again, it's kind of a modern politics thing, but I've been listening voraciously to the Hamilton Broadway musical. That's such a big thing right now. I've been listening to the, the original cast recording, reading through the, the, the book about it and all that kind of stuff. I'm actually about to read Ron Chernow's uh, biography that leads to it. But there's a great line, which is the whole, to paraphrase, sort of, uh, every time you take a position, you give your enemies more ammunition, right? You have to be careful because everything you do, even if it's for the right reasons, taken out of context can doom you. And that's kind of what happens here with Castrofo. But that does open up this whole issue of some of the other characters. Castrofo is definitely the highlight of the book to me. But we do have Arliz Hadrassian, who is the leader of the Amaxines. I always want to say Axamites, but I'm pretty sure that's a Star Trek thing. Yeah, Maxines are what they were called in the audiobook. Yeah, it's uh, A-M-A-X-I-N-E-S, right? This paramilitary group who is working, and it's basically, they're sort of behind the scenes working with Rin Riven D. They're the ones building up this massive force. They're being worked with by Carice, who actually gripes at them because that she thought that the napkin bombing thing was over the top. Mm-hmm. And it just, it strikes me, I don't think that this is what I would have thought of when I think First Order. Like When I think First Order, I'm thinking the stuff that was mentioned in stuff like Lost Stars and in Life Debt and whatnot, and the various hidden military factions or military groups left from the Empire, which maybe all jump in in, you know, Aftermath, Empire's End. Maybe they all jump into the Battle of Jakku and there's not much left of them after that. But it's it just seems odd to me that instead of it being these sort of hidden Imperial forces, that what we're seeing here as sort of a First Order military arm, if that's what it is, unless they're just being manipulated by the First Order, is this group. And they are cut loose by the end of it. In fact, we get to the end of the book and Leia has, is no longer a candidate. Um, the centers have been somewhat discredited in some of their arguments because of what comes out about what happens on Sabensko with the whole, you know, the Amaxines and the uh, First Order ties there, although I don't think they got the name of the First Order yet, and all that kind of stuff. So the guy that winds up taking power is an ally of Leia's, who actually wants the position of First Senator so that he cannot use it. He has it, and now he's just going to sit back and not do anything because he wants the Senate to function without that position needing to exist and needing to prove that that can happen. So it's kind of that weird kind of story. It's like a president getting elected and then rolling back executive power, for instance. But the leader of this paramilitary group Easier to say that than saying their names, apparently. <laughs> they, she shows up having slipped into the, the inauguration and the little ball type thing afterwards and winds up assassinating him immediately um, before she is taken down. So it's interesting to see that we have within the political faction of the centers or within the First Order side, you have the regular centers, you have the extremists, just like bring back legends and alt legends. And then you have this paramilitary group who is allied with them, who has their own motivations that when the bond between them is broken, um, will act on their own. To, to get what they want and to be disruptive, to sort of bring conflict, get their revenge on the Republic for what happened to their people thousands and thousands of years ago. I found her to be interesting in that regard. It just seemed a little weird. That wasn't really what I was expecting when we first got our glimpse of like Leia getting hints of military might from some faction out there. I would have expected it to be more specifically like old school Imperial type First Order, kind of like what we see in Before the Awakening, more so than a paramilitary group. Yeah, yeah, no, great 
Rick Rekka's Before the Awakening definitely is kind of what I'm thinking, what Poe comes across, especially, you know, like, like it almost comes across like Poe found the mysterious hidden fleets that were hidden from the life debt books. But I'm with you kind of feeling like life debt's pushing towards uh, Empire's end and that it's all going to go out in a blaze of glory, unless somehow some of the fleet gets left hidden. Because uh, there is that angle where I'm kind of like hoping we see like a Dark Force Rising kind of story where there's a group of ships out there that the First Order gets their hands on. Uh, it would make a lot of sense. It made sense in Legends. It would make sense in there. Uh, but I also like the political aspect of, you know, as they're going on the missions and mainly from Joss Striker and Greer's point of view. Uh, Joff's like the complete green rookie. He really has no idea what's going on. And Greer's explaining to him, you know, like, well, we're going on these political missions, but this one was approved by the Senate, so we're able to do this stuff. But this one here isn't approved by the Senate, so we're kind of being spies. We've got to, you know, we got to do this incognito. And once we get this information, we can bring it forward. And there's that political intrigue that goes along that from Joff's point of view, I found it was really kind of cool. And it also gives you the idea of where Leia builds the resistance from because he's the one that introduces her to Snap and and a a big majority of the X-Wing pilots that she ends up using. Uh, And you also see how she decides to completely break that tie at the end and go forward because of all the stuff with the paramilitary group. But yeah, I'm with you on the aspect of the paramilitary group. The way it played out wasn't kind of what I was thinking either. It didn't seem, it seemed like when it was all said and done, she's like, well, there's still a threat out there, so we need to keep building. And I felt like it should have been like, well, the threat's right there and we need to do something about it. We know that they've got these numbers and we've got to get numbers equal to it. And it wasn't that case. It was more of vagueness of like, it was kind of like in the New Jedi Order when Wedge created his uh, inner circle. <laughs> you know, Leia's like got her own inner circle and it's the resistance. Yes, the sun is setting on the New Republic. It's time for the resistance to rise, as she says. You brought up Joff a few times here. And I got to be honest, I, don't, I didn't feel like the supporting cast in this case really worked as well for me as it probably should have, and as it seems to have for you. Joff C. Stryker, sort of the young, brash pilot always looking for the action and whatnot, somewhat infatuated, it seems, almost with Greer Sonnell, who is this former racer who, uh, because she has blood burn, this disease, couldn't race anymore, so she's gonna work as Leia's chief of staff at Han's urging and all this stuff. And even Corsella. And I was anxious to see more about Corsella because we see her in the in The Force Awakens and have no reason to actually care about her death because we've never really met her as a character, and now finally we get to meet Cory slash Corsella. I kind of expected them to be more engaging, and it really kind of felt like they were somewhat one note. They were not nearly as developed as most of the rest of the characters in the book, and it seemed as though they kind of should have been. It was like Ransom got some heavy development. Carice got some development, enough to sort of know what she's doing and why she's doing it. But then Hadrassian and these supporting characters here didn't really get much, so they felt like they were just kind of there to fulfill their role and sometimes to be the impetuous ones. But I never really felt like I had much of a connection to them, especially Greer, who I guess we're supposed to, by the end of the book, feel some compassion for because of the blood burn or something. But the blood burn felt like it was really shoehorned in just to give her another character trait. This supporting cast just didn't really work for me. Yeah, okay, I can see what you're saying with that because because yeah it was like joff was the angle that really worked greer because like when he sees greer you're seeing it from his point of view and she's basically drop dead gorgeous the kind of drop dead gorgeous you don't even 
can go up and talk to because you're just afraid she's going to hate you for even looking her way kind of thing. Uh, and then by the time he finds out that she has blood burn, because she's always pushing herself and Leia's always trying to hold her back and he like he picks up on that kind of thing. And when he finally discovers it, he breaks down. But the way it breaks down, I, I was kind of cool because on his planet, showing of emotions is a sign of strength. And so he wasn't ashamed to have tears coming down and he's just like, you know, oh, oh, Greer, that's so sad, you know, and he's like, that's not fair. And and she has a moment where she's like, you know, that you're right. It isn't fair. And and so she had a moment where she was able to grieve as well. And it, like, it, it was kind of like, maybe it was shoehorned because it was like Greer was kind of there to kind of illustrate what Han had been doing uh, with the racing aspect, which, which honestly threw me off. Han being a racer, becoming a racer full born, and the whole angle of him being a pirate still hanging over him like a black mark, like, like literally like a Captain Jack getting the pirate's brand on his arm, kind of a bad mark every time they even mentioned it. It was like a, a stain on his honor kind of thing, but hey, being a racer, that was okay. It was a weird twist. Well, can, uh, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you think that the fact that Han goes back to racing or goes to racing and whatnot for this book and this lead up to The Force Awakens, don't you think that is the only reason the Han Solo miniseries comics exist right now? To say, well, see, here's Han as a racer because it seems like those don't have a whole lot of point to them. It's gotta be just to set this up, right? Absolutely. No, absolutely. Like, this is a direction they decided to go and I'm not upset with it because you know, I, I want to say he was a he was a swoop bike racer in Legends. That was one of the things he did after he left the Empire or before he joined the Empire. I'm not exactly sure as to where that fell. So, you know, it's kind of like having that part of him come across makes sense, but I didn't like the fact that he was always trying to recreate the magic of the Falcon. That, that left me in the same boat with you, thinking that he'd already lost the ship, but they never flat out came forward and said it, which is that angle of, okay, do we know? And if we do know, let's tell the authors so they can let the audience know so we're not grappling at these questions because that would have been a prime moment to say ever since Han lost the Falcon, he's been trying to reproduce that, but they didn't say it like that. They purposely left that vague and that's that whole accessibility at action that I cannot stand. I hope that's not why they left it vague was because they didn't have an answer and they didn't want to do it, but I don't know. Like The whole Han doing the racing thing and them having that comic, it has to be all for that, that notion that this is now his new backstory. And I guess, speaking of backstory, uh, I think back to the Thrawn trilogy. And the Thrawn trilogy had this whole thing of the discovery by the Nogri, or the Nogri, that Leia was the child of Vader. Uh, led to the whole Malariosh thing, and how that gave her a title and gave her some, uh, some loyalty from them. And it's interesting here that we have sort of a twist on that same type of thing, which is sort of a thing that she's not proud of, that yet becomes a title for her in some circles and gains her some respect in some circles, which is what Rin Riven D calls her when presenting her with a recording of her strangling Jabba the Hutt, <laughs> which is, and I could, this has to have been at least somewhat Game of Thrones influenced because this, it's what has made the term Kingslayer so well known, um, but Hutt Slayer. Yeah, uh, and die the way he would say, he would say Hutt Slayer. He, he had this very deep, thick accent too when he would say it. He was like, hey baby, you're the Hutt Slayer, come on. Um, but I find it interesting that one of the, the hallmarks we get here is this idea of sort of how different factions will perceive things very, very differently. Uh, and to a Nikto who is a, he is a Nikto, right? To a Nikto who's a criminal leader, the fact that Leia was the one who killed Jabba the Hutt was huge. Yeah. And actually sort of opened doors for her that otherwise would have remained closed. Uh, it's kind of, to some extent, like what we see eventually with, um, I guess it was in Fate of the Jedi, some of the, the future of, you know, these former slave races, what are they doing in the wake of the Hutt's being gone, and, and how do Leia or Luke or whoever have any level of 
of complicity in starting that process and so forth. But that I found interesting as well. There's all these little interesting sort of character tidbits and whatnot. This, I say it's a political thriller. I would say that it's probably political thriller first, action maybe third. I would have put it second, but I think you're right in that it's the character moments that really kind of bring a lot of stuff to the fore. So maybe it's more political thriller first, character study second, mm. action story third, because you do get the things like the Hut Slayer. And Red Ribbon Dies character was one like, he's the lightning rod that led them to everything. And then uh, Hadraxian, she kind of just went off plum and decided to do the carpet bombing or the napkin bombing, which of course, even Rin Ribbon Die, he was ticked off about that. And then she like starts wrapping things up, which kind of was, to me, I think that was like her biggest mistake was the more she got involved, the easier it was for Leia to start pinning down who mm-hmm. was really doing what. And speaking of the napkin bombing, I do find it interesting the way that it plays out here, again, going to the politics side of things, because you think about the way that you have terrorist attacks happen these days, and most of the time, at least within the United States, it's an attack on our troops somewhere elsewhere in the world. It's an attack somewhere in the United States on a civilian target, uh, most of the time, whether we're talking about Timothy McVeigh, whether we're talking about Al-Qaeda, etc. And so you have sort of this idea that when a terrorist attack happens, you have that galvanization, that that whole, uh, those who might have debated over whether or not going after the terrorists was a good idea will now galvanize and want to go after them. It's just like Pearl Harbor. You know, you strike us trying to strike fear into us and make us back off. All you do is piss us off and we're going to come kick your ass. But in this case, because the target was the Senate itself and because things had gotten as extreme as it did, the fact is, I like the fact that the debate becomes not who did this and should we go after them, which is kind of the given that we would expect from modern politics. But instead, it's this whole, it was only one political party that got hit. It was ma- it was predominantly populists. So did the centrists do this because they're that much against the populists? Or was it that the populists did this to themselves as a way of gaining sympathy and support? And I think you've seen that in the past in American politics when it's come to things like attempted assassinations or actual assassinations, but not necessarily necessarily really with terrorist attacks. Um, but you get like the conspiracy theory things after the fact, but it's usually, it's not that first debate that happens. The first thing that happens is the, we must go after whoever did this. And it sort of quells debate for a little bit, as opposed to it immediately being sort of the infighting between the two parties. It makes me wonder if someone took a shot at Hillary, if someone took a shot at Trump, would there be that kind of debate where, especially if whichever side is down in the polls at the moment, would you see Democrats and Republicans blaming each other for what happened, including, you know, oh, well, you just went after your own side specifically to gain support to get the election. It's a different angle on politics than what we've seen in recent American history, and yet it fits very well with this paranoid atmosphere that you're getting when the two sides are going so polarized that there isn't much of a middle ground. I love the politics and the story, but that was one that struck me as particularly uh, just sort of deviating from American norm. See, and I also, I got a kick out of the times where it got us inside Leia's head. Like towards the end when she's re-listening to the message, uh, Bail Organa's message restarted from the beginning. Leia walked to the nearest sofa, sinking down onto it to hear him explain everything again. At times, she wondered how her father could keep such a secret from her. It helped her to know that he had always intended to give her the truth. His initial words had been played in the Senate, so Leia concentrating on the loving tone of his voice and the simple comfort of hearing her father speak once more. 
But soon they reached the end of the message. Words Ransom Karstarfo had not shared with the rest of the Senate began to play. I hope to have told you this all myself, Bail Organa's voice said. I hope we have enjoyed many more happy years as a family, that we have seen the Empire fall, and that we have gone forth together to find General Kenobi and your brother. If so, this recording can serve only one purpose. You must be listening after my death, so let this be my chance to say once again how much I love you. No other daughter could ever have brought me more joy. I, it just, those moments, those little moments that get inside characters, not just Leia in, in general, but just characters. When authors do that, that's the type of moments that books really shine. And when they take the time to do that, I think you get more out of the character side of the story. And that's why I said, like, the character angles here were really what worked for me. Like, I typically find political stories more boring. And it was the character side that kept me through the, what I would have normally just checked out for. You know, another example of this going to the New Jedi Order, Vector Prime, is a very political book. But you need to get through that to set the stage for everything else. And it's really, I always felt like the last two chapters of that book is where it really gets good. But it's one of those things where when you get to the end and you get to that point, the political works. And this is another prime example of that. The character stuff makes the politics not just work as the overall scheme, but once all the characters get into the web and you realize where the spider's at, it all is working off of the character angles, and it works so well. Claudia Gray does do a very good job with this. And if I liked politics more, I probably would put it up even higher in my new canon ordering. There's two things I want to add uh, before we start to wrap things up here. One, I want to kind of give you a bit of a reading here, but I'll wait until we're, we're wrapping up to give you the reading. We can make it one of our last things. But I will say Speaking of how well the characters are done when it comes to the primary character of Ransom and Leia and just kind of making these things happen, there was one other moment, and it was with a character that is a main mover and shaker but not the primary focus of the book, kind of like often Greer in them, that did kind of feel like it was clumsily handled, but I don't know that there was an easy way to handle it otherwise. And that's the revelation that Carice is the person on the inside in the Senate and is working with the First Order. Because the book up to that point has tended to focus on the perspective it's third-person limited, right? So third-person writing, they, he, she, but limited in each little segment to just the perspective and knowledge of the individual characters. So you've got perspectives from Leia, perspectives from Ransom, from Greer, from Joff, and so on. And I believe we had gotten maybe a couple little bits and pieces dealing with Carice before, but then all of a sudden there's this point from Carice's point of view talking to Hadrassian over the comm channel, and the narration is talking about First Order because, of course, she knows it. So it's like there's this question of, well, who's the one in the Senate? Hmm. And then it just kind of outs her completely with this thing from her perspective. I don't know, if, if you're not going to let the other characters figure out who it is, I'm not sure how else to have revealed it, but it's kind of one of those things where you're halfway through a movie, the mystery of who the villain is is a big part of the plot, and you're wondering who's working against who, and then a door closes, leaving one of the characters by themselves, and all of a sudden they sneer and rub their hands together, Scooby-Doo style, like, heh, 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 my plan is proceeding. It just sort of felt like that. I think, I guess clumsy may not be the right word. It was abrupt, I guess is the best way to put it. I don't know how you do it otherwise without other characters realizing her connections to the First Order. But to have it revealed by just switching to her perspective and all of a sudden it's all laid bare felt like it was really just kind of, boom, here it all is! And that chunk of mystery that was at least a piece of the broader mystery of the book just kind of fades away very quickly. Did you feel like that was kind of abrupt or is that just me because I was expecting more mystery? Well, they definitely built up the mystery and it did to a degree feel abrupt, but I think it had like a, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of uh, TV show feel because a couple pages before that is when Joff has figured it out. A source in the Senate? 
Joff gapped at him. Nobody would do that. Come on. Being a senator gets you all the power and prestige. You'd have to kill for a, uh, as a smuggler without risking your own skin. And, I mean, so, like, Leia's group has just figured it out literally right before the author reveals to us. But maybe I think what you're feeling is that sense of feeling ripped off that you didn't get to discover it on your own, that it was presented to the reader and not something that was given away. And I don't know, like, sometimes I don't like those kind of mysteries and I appreciate more of the quick throw, but it did feel odd in the way of, like, you know, for her character to just, like, all of a sudden she's just like, oh, the first order, oh, you know, but she was always about titles in the first place. So there is that angle of her personality that did kind of jive with the Empire. So I don't know, man. Like, I I didn't really think about it that much uh, until you pointed out, but I I think Joff's pointing that out is kind of like the, the, the setup beforehand. Uh, well, so overall with this book, I really got a kick out of it. Uh, I thought, you know, I can't go enough about how great the character interactions were, the dialogue, uh, just the way they were presented. Uh, the mainstay characters, I think for me, the, the issues I had is that they're new. You know, they are not the Leia, the Han, and Luke that I know. And so when I'm seeing them on paper and I'm seeing their characteristics now, I am still applying it to Legends, even though I know that they're different characters. And so I have a hard time with the mainstay characters. I think I'm, I'm, I'm absorbing the secondary cast a lot quicker and readier than I am the big three at this point. I, I, I'm liking the direction this book puts things. I would like to see characters like Joss Striker show back up again. I'd like to know more about Greer, uh, even though it seems like she's not going to be around for long. But her... Her character personality type and stuff, now that she's with the Resistance, I could easily see her character leading a Rogue One type mission, a suicide type mission, uh, and, and her being okay with that. A Star by Star type mission where Luke's like, okay, sending his own nephew off to die kind of thing, where Leia's doing that with Greer. I, I just, I, I would really like to see these characters come around again. I think overall, with all the new canon books, that's the one issue I'm really... I'm bummed by. Aside from big playing characters like Ray Sloan, there are very few of the characters that are jumping over and over again, aside from, say, Snap. Uh, and, and I'm glad Snap made it over into this, because I, I felt that that was integral. At first, when Joff Striker showed up, I was like, oh man, they should have made it Snap. But the way that they played Joff's character and the relationship he has with Snap, I, I think it worked really well. Plus, it kept Snap open for uh, Windig's stories. So I, I like this. Uh, I think Claudia Gray should be given some more books. Uh, maybe give her something more general I focused because uh, I, I at this point I'm, I'm really dying to know more about the Jedi and I feel like Rebels is really the only thing that's giving me that uh, so I'm, I'm kind of ready to jump into that especially when you think you know during life debt uh, you know Ben's not born and Luke's off doing Jedi things and now at this you know we're, we're six years away from the Force Awakens and Luke's still off doing Jedi things like come on uh, uh, heir to the Jedi didn't give me Luke doing that much Jedi things I need some Jedi things but that aside this book delivered what it said it was going to deliver it delivered it well again I say it's an A plus book in my book and I'm right there with you I'm more of the political thriller guy this thing was much more in my wheelhouse so to speak but uh, I really enjoyed the book I think Claudia Gray has done it again and because of this I really hope that she comes back and writes more for the story group canon continuity and whatnot here. Uh, I do think that they could have gone with a name that wasn't so easily confused with the book from Legacy of the Force, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Lots of people saying bloodlines and getting this confused. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, this is one that I would highly recommend to anyone who wants to see the progression between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, anyone who's into the politics of the galaxy far, far away and the character moments. It is not necessarily one for someone who wants Jedi stuff or someone who wants a lot of action. There is some action, but not a ton. Uh, And I want to kind of leave this here. I mentioned wanting to, to pull in some reading stuff. Yes, Mark and I are both doing some dramatic readings this time around. 
But to make the point, I think, about how well they're able to blend in this book the politics and the personal moments, the politics and the character development, the character moments, the personalities, I want to give you a few little snippets here, all kind of within the same range of about three chapters that to me stand out as, as particularly strong segments. You have a conversation first between Leia and Ransom after he makes the revelation in their office, and he's basically saying, you know what, you should have told me something beforehand. Uh, you should have revealed this to me. And Leia says, that was a message recorded out of love, and you used it against me. How could you? We were friends, or I thought we were. When you found out, however you found out, did it never occur to you to come to me? To ask me about it personally? Why? So you could lie to me yet again? You knew how I hated Vader. You knew what he had done to me. How could you still keep your secret knowing that? What Vader did to you, do you think that can even begin to compare with what Vader did to me? He made me watch my planet die. He froze Han and Carmenite and sold him to Jabba the Hutt. He cut off my brother's hand and nearly took his life. And he tortured me, Ransom. He tortured me until I screamed and shook and thought I would die just from the pain alone. Did you bother to ask yourself how it might feel to realize the person who had done all that to you was your father? Can you imagine how terrible it is to realize all you'll ever know of your birth father is how much he enjoyed making you suffer? That's what I have to live with. It's all the more reason you should have told me. I hadn't even told my son. Now he has to find out in the most horrible public way imaginable, all because of you. Obviously, I overestimated our friendship, but you owed it to me to come to me with this information first. Even if you still felt you had to shout it out to the galaxy, you could have talked to me privately first, given me a chance to speak with my son. Not even out of friendship, just out of common decency. But I guess you didn't think I even deserved that. You had your chances to speak to your son. He's not a child any longer, is he? You could have told him at any point before this. Do you think you'd ever have had the courage to tell the truth? What I kept from Ben, I did for his own good, or what I hoped was his own good. Now we'll never know. But what you did to me, you did for your own benefit. Well, congratulations, Senator Castorfo. May you enjoy all the power you bought by betraying me. And keep on condemning me as the heir of the Empire while you sit here surrounded by all of this, pointing at his Imperial regalia. Goodbye, Castorfo. May you get absolutely everything in life that you deserve. That then brings us into the scene in which she's able to finally address the Senate after the session in which the accusation was made and the revelation came out. Leia gives a speech. She says, I come before you today to withdraw my nomination for first senator. That's simple to accomplish merely by speaking the words before you all. I've already ended my candidacy, but I would be doing the Galactic Senate a disservice if I did not take this opportunity to discuss yesterday's revelations about my birth father. The citizens of the New Republic have the right to hear exactly what I knew and when I knew it. It has always been known that I was adopted by Bale and Bria Organa of the Royal House of Alderaan. I was described as a war orphan, a story I myself believed until adulthood. As you heard yesterday, Bale Organa had not shared the truth with me when I was younger, and sadly, the Empire's destruction of our world meant he never had the chance to speak of it later. My brother, the Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker, was the first to learn that we were twins and that our father was the man who later became known as Darth Vader. He told me on the day preceding the Battle of Endor. As you can imagine, I was shocked, horrified. I had never guessed that the truth behind my birth could be so tragic, or that my birth father could be a man I had such strong personal reasons to hate. My efforts to accept this lasted a long time. In a very real sense, I still struggle with this knowledge, and I expect that I always will. And you know, she comes into sort of talking about her, uh, her adoptive family and so forth, how she didn't know the birth mother and whatnot. And we get to a point where there's this question, because now by her revealing the truth, it's also revealed the truth about Luke. And Carice, of course, the First Order plant here, comes out and says, On behalf of my fellow senators, I wish to say that I appreciate Princess Leia's honesty, however late it was in coming. Yet something in her speech today has given rise to other potentially more dangerous concerns. 
Princess Leia spoke of her brother, the famous Luke Skywalker, who has been little seen in the public sphere for many years now. Perhaps her highness learned virtues from her father's example, but can we say the same for her brother? If he uses his rumored strength in the Force for evil, how could we ever defend against him? Leia responds, how dare you question him? After everything Luke's done for the Rebellion and the New Republic, maybe Lady Carice has forgotten that he was the one who destroyed the first Death Star, or that he was responsible for ridding the galaxy of Palpatine. So Skywalker claims, but we have only ever had his word for what happened on the second Death Star, and if his word is worth no more than yours has been these past several decades, well, your highness, we hardly know what to believe. And they finally recognize the last little bit here. They recognize Tai Lin, who is the man who is on Leia's side, a good friend of hers, and the one who will eventually wind up taking the first senator's spot, albeit briefly. And so that recognizes Tai Lin Gar. I would first say to the Honorable Senator Sindian of Arcanus that we have no reason to question Luke Skywalker. Since the Rebellion Skywalker has lived a private life, he has asked no more of the New Republic than any of its other citizens, nor have we just cause to ask more of him than the substantial service he has already given. As Senator Vickley of Lonero reminded us yesterday, the New Republic does not blame children for the sins of their parents, and this is no time to begin. Now, this is all just people either having a conversation in an office, one-on-one, -on -one, or giving political speeches like we saw all throughout the prequels. Yeah. But I'm telling you, to me, that is just as gripping, if not more so, than any space battle in recent Star Wars memory. That is why, to me, Bloodline is a must-read. See, and, and when they brought up Luke's being a Force user, man, that brought some legend stories right back. I was immediately remembering Boris Fele all those different times when he was bringing that up, and when Luke was trying to establish the Jedi Praxum, and everyone was against him because of those reasons. And that was when being Vader's son was like the foremost of the story in Legends, was what he was trying to make the temple uh, and, and start an academy. So how Having that come forward, I was just like, oh, man, you know, those are the little tidbits with Luke that I really want to know more about. Uh, I also have one more thing, just one more thing. The guards said nothing to Leia, but they stopped walking. Ransom looked back at her. He seemed younger to her than he had ever been, far too young to die. I said once that you would have served the Empire if you'd been alive during the war. I said I could imagine you in an Imperial uniform. Leia shook her head. I was wrong. You wouldn't have fought for the Empire. You would have been with us, with you, Ransom repeated. Once again, he gave her a wounded smile. I hope that's true. Then the guards continued marching, and Ransom let himself be led. He did not look back again. In that instant, her anger rose to a nearly uncontrollable fury. If she'd had a blaster, she might have fired it. Her rage could have driven her to kill others, innocents, just to make sure Ransom Cristafo didn't have to die needlessly. She realized then something she had never fully understood before. She'd always wondered what had led her father to turn to the dark side, to become Darth Vader. She'd imagined it had came from ambition, greed, or some other venial weakness. Never had she considered that the turn might begin in a better place, out of a desire to save someone or to avenge a great wrong. Even if it led to evil, that first impulse might be born of loyalty, a sense of justice, or even love. Had it been like that for her father? She could never know, but for the first time in a very long time, she had some sense of who Anakin Skywalker might have been before his fall, and the goodness that must have survived in him through all the darkness, all the years. Leia stood in the hangar, breathing hard, staring at the transport vessel. She didn't flinch when its engines roared to life, didn't budge amid the gale of displaced air as it lifted off. Instead, she remained still and watched the transport rise into the sky until it became so tiny, so distant, that she would never see it again. 
She remembered this terrible heaviness in her chest from the days of the war, when she'd had to send troops out on missions from which they would never return, even though she had known the rightness of their cause. She had always found the sense of loss and waste almost unbearable. But she had borne it then, and she would bore it now. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, a podcast at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off! And you can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com Now lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash StarWarsReport, you get a free book, a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying, thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. Wow, that while we're sitting here recording this, I find that a big Bring Back Legends group is deciding to adopt that alt-legends term to describe those that they disagree with on the extreme. We've had an impact! Oh, interesting. That's... What are the odds of that? People actually listen to our drivel! Oh my goodness! It's working! It's working! <laughs> oh, you had to bring Anakin and the Podracer into this, didn't you? I think all this could have been avoided if back in the days when, you know, Ahsoka was Fulcrum and Leia was working with Rebellion as we see in Rebels, if Bail had just said, you know what, Ahsoka, why don't you tell the truth? Or tell Ahsoka the truth and let Ahsoka tell Leia the truth with all the context of Padme. And that probably could have stopped some of that frustration, but okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs>